Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Imagine if your work was endorsed by Oprah herself as being, quote, revolutionary and life-changing. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybox. I am thrilled that you guys are here today. This is going to be a very quick intro, but I am super excited to welcome Dr. Shafali on the Storybox today. Now, for those of you that don't know who she is, uh, she's a world-renowned clinical psychologist. She teaches women how to transcend their fears and illusions, break free from social expectations, and rediscover the person they were always meant to be. She's fully present, conscious, and happy. She's a New York Times bestselling author of multiple books. She has a new book out called A Radical Awakening. Now, the book lays out a path for women to heal their psychic wounds and prepares them to discover their own powers to help heal others and the planet. Dr. Shafali helps women uncover the purpose that already exists within them and harness the power of authenticity in every area of their life. This is an eloquent and inspiring, practical and accessible book. Uh, each and every one of you can go and get a hands on a copy of that one. Oprah has endorsed it uh, as well. So you, you know that uh, that's saying something. But she's got a few other books that I want to pinpoint for you all. Uh, which is The Conscious Parent. Now, we do talk about conscious parenting in this conversation, what it actually means, how we can all become better parents. Now, I myself am not a parent, so I found this very interesting. This is coming from a non-parental aspect in terms of me asking the kinds of questions that a non-parent, I guess, would ask and being curious and how I was brought up and raised by my own parents and asking questions I, yeah, all, all kinds of parental questions. Uh, so it's a very fascinating uh, deep dive into that. And then we dive into uh, her new book, Radical Awakening, which you can go and get a hands-on uh, a copy right now. She also has a very exciting Mind Valley course, which you can go and get your hands on 
for free. So the links are all in the show notes below. But it's a new parenting masterclass, how to raise confident, authentic children by truly connecting, uh, not correcting them. Uh, the three vital needs for every child and so much more. Uh, if you do get something from this, please go and share it around to your friends and family. Let everyone know about this one. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and show some love by leaving a five-star rating and review over and have a podcast. Appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for tuning in this week. Now, you know what time it is. It is time to walk into this story box today and learn how to become a better parent, have a radical awakening within ourselves and hear the story of none other than Dr. Shafali. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. The pleasure is all mine to have you here. Now, I, I, need, I need to get this out of the way before we dive into your backstory and everything like that. I listened to an episode that you did with, I believe it was uh, Kerwin Ray, and you said something that was quite profound to me and has helped me all along the way, which has been, you said, everyone is accessible. You just have to find a way to access them. And you're the one that reached out to Oprah and you're able to get uh, a meeting with Oprah, which is quite inspiring. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you so much for those words, uh, if I didn't butcher them. <laughs> um, yeah. So I wanna, yeah, I think, I think people have, you know, fear to reach out to people and that's understandable. Uh, but I think if we have done our work and we've put in the effort and we think we have a unique message, then we need to be brave to kind of find the reception for it. Mm. And I'm not talking about people who don't have that message cultivated, but somebody like you or me, you know, we've been cultivating a message for so long, but then we're so intimidated to reach out to people who are as human as we are. And when you do, sometimes you cast a wide net and somebody or the other does reach back and then you build your, your reception in that way which is what I've realized doing this, reaching out to many different people. And I've realized that what connects us all is our unique story. And if we can learn to just, you know, be present with one another for just a moment, then we're able to change a lot of people's perspectives. We can help people realize that they are worth something. And your new book, A Radical Awakening, actually deals with fear. Um, which I'm very excited to get into in just a moment. But before we do that, my very first question officially to you, this is a question I ask everyone at the very beginning. It's what does success look like for you? Freedom. So success to me is <clears throat> when you have liberated yourself from the clutches of culture and other people's opinions, and you are able to be authentically yourself without the gripping, clawing fear of rejection, disapproval, and unworthiness. Mm. Have you, you yourself found it difficult to live this free life over the years? Yes. <laughs> I've had to break out of a lot of conditioning that was keeping me small. And that's why I wrote this book for women, especially called The Radical Awakening, because we are so conditioned to play small, especially women, and to always believe we're not good enough. So that is what is the eternal cage 
the cage is never really something on the outside. It's always the perception of ourselves and the image we hold of ourselves. And if we hold an image of ourselves that our love depends or our self-worth depends on this external source, we will forever be enslaved. So part of my life uh, had to do with breaking down all my internal conditionings around unworthiness and playing small and really deconstructing where that came from, the messages from my culture and finding that replenishment of worth from within myself. So that was the pivoting shift and I still grapple with it. There's no such thing as a pristine level of freedom, but I at least know what is the block and the block is always this perception of unworthiness. Mm. So for you specifically, was it mainly just cultural expectations or cultural conditioning or was there something more than that? Right. So I always say that typically for people, it's two sources of unworthiness Mm. that constantly feed us. One comes from culture and culture telling us how to be a woman or a man and how to be successful or beautiful. And then is the trauma of your own childhood conditioning. A lot of people had parents, most of us had parents who were unconscious and embedded us with legacies of this unworth. Mm. I didn't have that from my parents. I actually grew up with a very healthy attachment, but I definitely still couldn't be buffered from culture. Mm. So how do we actually for ourselves and for a person right now that is actually struggling and they're wrestling with their worth right now, with trying to break free from this conditioning, what would you, what advice would you give to them? Like what strategies surrounding that? Well, I think the first step and people don't really think this is a step, but it's always the first step is to be aware of one's patterns and awareness is internal. So it doesn't feel like a step, you know, it's not a doing on the external. It's an internal palpable shift where you begin to go, aha, uh-huh, mm. I am the constant in my life. I am the one who is obviously co-creating some patterns here. And we can blame the other and be resentful and gripe and groan and complain about the partner, the boss, the friend, but it's or the child. But it's when you are willing to look in the mirror and pause and go, mm, I'm the constant. So mm. how am I co-perpetuating my patterns. And that awareness propels and propagates a domino effect of behavioral change. You can't change behaviorally long-lastingly unless you have a deep internal awareness that we are palpably propagating our own inner oppression. Mm. And you mentioned uh, being a a child there and and the kind of uh, teachings that we do pass down to our kids. Kids are very smart and I, I think we we miss that. Like they, they're very observant with the, the world around them and they learn, they pick up things relatively quickly or at least I did growing up. Um, so what sort of questions should we be telling or should we be telling a child, hey, you need to be asking these kinds of questions in order to know your worth growing up? Well, I don't know whether the child should bear the onus for having worth. It's really, and that's why all my work around conscious parenting focuses on the parent entering a sense of wholeness and abundance so that they don't project 
this incompletion or this lack onto their children. So as long as the parent is projecting lack and unmet need onto the child, the child is defenseless. The mm. child is just like you said, absorbing the world around them. So, but what can a conscious parent do? A conscious parent can make sure before giving an opinion, before sermonizing, before lecturing their kid, to ask their kid, well, what works for you? What is right for you? What's authentic for you? It's more important that you follow yourself. And for that conscious parent to be aware that they cannot dump their expectations on their children. And if we're very conscious and very careful, we back off from that projection and allow the child to fumble and discover and maybe fail, but finally arrive at their own authentic expression of themselves. So failure is actually a good thing for a child? What, what, sorry? So failure is actually a good thing for a child? Yes, because it's inevitable. But when the parent has hangups around their own failures, then they're going to resist it when their child experiences failure and they're going to fix it and jump in and get angry and feel out of control. But what we parents don't understand is that our children's failure has nothing to do with us. But we can only feel that way when we come from wholeness. When we have identified with our children as if they are an extension of ourselves, then everything they do or don't do matters greatly to how we feel about ourselves. That's why I tell parents, you do your own work so that you're not constantly titrating your sense of worth based on your kid's A grade or C grade or your kid's weight or their destiny. You are able to separate your journey from their journey. And that is the most important gift we can give our children, the liberty to discover themselves, to live their own journey. Mm. So as parents, we're, we're more or less guiding the child along in this journey. We're not necessarily like trying to uh, brand them down in any, any kind of way. Yes. We're just ushers and guides. We're partners uh, walking this journey of life together, but it is only possible when the parent is firmly planted in a philosophy that believes that each person is here on earth to fulfill their own manifesto, their own expression of self. Mm. If we haven't discovered that for ourselves and we are still tethered to the ideas and prescriptions of culture, then of course we're going to tether our children to our ideas and prescriptions. When we free ourselves and we experience the emancipation of that freedom, we want to give that to our children. Like, hey, it doesn't matter to me what you do, what you choose. Of course, I would like you to be happy and successful and uh, mentally healthy, but I can't control that beyond the way I show up. My mm -hmm. only control is how I show up. And so the conscious parent makes a pledge to show up in the most whole abundant way possible and that's really the only work we have to do as a parent is show up abundant and whole so we don't dump our crap on our children mm -hmm. and that's it it's actually so simple but it is the hardest thing in the world to do because we are so indoctrinated to own our children to possess and control them mm. i have so many questions is coming from that response but i want to i want to ask you more or less like for someone that where where more or less does the actual fear come from to become a parent? 
Like that's, I'm not a parent yet and I'm afraid to become a parent. <laughs> you should <laughs> <And> be very afraid. <laughs> why, why is that though? Like where does that, is, is that fear associated once again with cultural differences or knowing your worth? Or is it more or less like I'm afraid to stuff up the kid? Yeah, yeah, you will F up the kid. I've already <laughs> F'd up my kid. I F'd up my kid within the first three years and I kept doing a great job at that. That I got an A plus in. <laughs> so, you know, parents want to be perfect and parents want to be in control. That's the traditional parenting paradigm that we have all been raised with. So that's why you're so scared. You're like, I don't want to F up because the idea is that we need to be perfect and have control over our children and raise amazing children. My goodness, that is like a seriously scary proposition. But we do it with some delusion of narcissism that we can do it. We can create perfect children. And then when you have children and they are completely feral and wild and out of control, they're really because you realize, my goodness, they have their own will and their own voice. And now you're in conflict because you're like, the reality is I can't control this kid. But the traditional parenting paradigm has told me I need to have uber control now I'm feeling like a failure mm. and now I'm, I, I don't know what to do. So traditionally what parents do is that they hunker down even more. They're like, I will have control, right? So we yell, we scream, we punish, we ground, we threaten, we rage, we scream, we yell, we uh, abuse, we, we slap. We, we just go crazy because we're looking for that control that we were told by the traditional paradigm that we should have. And my model says, you have no control. You will never have control. So when you surrender to that, now you can have a good time at parenting because you're not stuck under this image of being the perfect parent who's going to have the perfect child. Mm. There's no perfect parent and there's no perfect child. That's how I start my book, The Conscious Parent. There is no such thing as perfect parent and perfect child. And when you let go of that, you actually ease into the mess and chaos of parenting, which it is. It is completely a mess. It's a shitstorm. It's out of control. And instead of looking for control, you surrender to the beauty of the chaos. And now you're a very different parent. You know, you're like, I don't know. You know, one, mo one mother once told me, okay, Dr. Shivali, I think what you're trying to tell me is I just need to be an idiot mommy. And I said, yes, you do. You need to be an, if that's what it means, to be quiet and just witness the beauty of your children. If for you, that means being an idiot. Yes, be an idiot. You know, I teach parents how to shut up, how to be quiet, how to not talk. And they're like, oh, so you basically I shouldn't talk. I go, yes, because everything that's coming out of your mouth is judgment, is lack, is scarcity, and is your projection. Mm -hmm. So why don't we be quiet? You know, so I'm a very quiet parent because everything I want to say is to control my kid. Today, I literally, my kid is 18. I literally, in my opinion, was being so rational. I just asked her a question. I swear to you, she screamed at me. Now, I wanted to scream back. I was triggered. But I know, I know now that, oh, she was feeling controlled. I was, I was asking a controlling question. But to me, it was as simple as, did you put off the lights in your room? To her, it was... Why are you always asking me whether I put off the lights in my room? I did. You don't trust me. You don't care about me. You think I'm an idiot. Like she answered me like I was like killing her. And we and teenagers react like this. And we parents can't stand it, right? We want to annihilate them. But I teach parents that our kids are so overmanaged and so overproduced by us 
that even when we asked them, like I was just asking a simple question I, and it wasn't simple, it was loaded, right? But to me, it was simple. To her, it was loaded. I was asking her, you know, Maya, you need a roommate for college. I need to know who your roommate is, right? Mm -hmm. Such a simple question, such a loving question, right? But to the kid, it was like, I don't know what I'm doing in my life. I don't know what my, I don't even know what I'm going to eat today. You know, like I was asking her for something beyond her scope because it was an adult future-based planning, organizing, anxiety-based question from me. I was anxious. I was like, can we please get our shit together? And to her, it was controlling, which it was. And she screamed at me. A traditional parent would have screamed back and would have ruined everything. A conscious parent like me, who's trained to, to know that I'm always effing up, I was just quiet. And I, I told myself, obviously, she's under stress. Mm. Obviously, this creates anxiety. So conscious parenting looks beneath the behavior and understands the feeling. But listen, it's really hard to do. Let me not give you any illusion, you non-parent, that it's easy to do. You want to choke your kid almost every minute. You want to take their body and lock it up, okay? It's like you're fighting that instinct all the time. And then you're horrified that you're a horrible person. I discovered I was a horrible person by the time my daughter was maybe 14 days old, right? I wanted her to stop crying. I was like, why are you crying? I was cursing her in my head at 14 days. Then you are in shame. Why am I doing this? No one told me that I would be such a horrible person, right? Because no one prepares us for the shitstorm that this parenting journey is. And I'm trying to prepare parents that your ego is going to come up so big mm. and all your lack is going to come up and you're going to totally mess it up. Now, if I was prepared, which I eventually became prepared at the cost of my child and her sanity. Now, after 18 years, I can shut up. Mm. But my goodness, the first three years, I was losing it. Like if my kid, if I said, let's have milk. And she said, no, the traditional model told me, oh, see, she's not respecting you. She doesn't love you. You have no authority. Kill her, like <laughs> annihilate her, destroy her. So I would scream. And then I would, you know, I saw my little child crumble in tears. So this is the reality of parenting. And we parents don't understand how the traditional model sets us up to actually be control freaks. Mm. So what if you have an unruly child in your midst and you, you can't really like help them stop being unruly? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The more you try to stop it, the more unruly they're going to get because you're talking about that particular kid who's the wild child, right? So you have several types of kids. I don't want to typecast kids, but you have the sweet tempered, you know, temperament is a thing. So you have some kids who are just so sweet and then some kids who the parent will say, I swear to you in the womb, she was oh, a devil. You know, the, the devil has come out of my womb. So what they mean is that you have the strong willed child, right? And the strong will child, I love the strong will child, even though they're a pain in the butt, because they force the parent to check their own control issues. You know, the sweet child, you can just run a ship over, you know, you can control them. And then you think you're a great parent. But the strong will child is the one who tests you. And I always call those children our awakeners, because mm. they're here to 
be a thorn in your ego's side and not do what your ego wants, and you're in a controlling match, but it's an opportunity to see how out of control your ego is. The kid is not out of control. The ego of the parent is out of control. Mm, you make a, a very good point there. Now, I, I personally, I'm very curious about this because, um, you know, I was I was raised with the belt. I wasn't abused. I was, I was if I did something wrong, then my parents would discipline me in, in that respect. And then I would not do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's this like uh, that that term like I was raised with a, a healthy dose dose of respect growing up, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and I'm always curious about, and I probably don't know too much about this. this is why I'm learning from you, Dr. Shafali. Um, what is the best way to discipline our child? Like in terms of if if they're not the wild child, but they're the silent, you know the the silent one that does sort of like the, the cheeky stuff, <laughs> like, do we, should we be removing the, the belt or the, the paddle and should we be still sending them to timeouts or what should we be doing? So can I challenge you a little bit? Yes. Okay. So you said you weren't abused. That is abuse, but you have created a beautiful narrative around it because you became a splendid young man. Mm. And so you're like, I turned out just fine. I deserved that. That actually kept me in check. You've created a beautiful narrative, but in truth, that was abusive. Right. 100%. So the traditional model does use the belt and the paddle and the timeout and the coercion and the control. And my model doesn't. So uh, my kid is the wild child and because I couldn't control her because that wasn't my mission. Mm. My mission wasn't to silence my kid or to scare them into compliance. You were scared into compliance. You never grew into a healthy compliance. You were fear, uh, fear mongered into silence. Mm. And it, did, it worked for you because you're just a well-adaptive child and you became a well-adaptive adult. But if I took you back to how that felt, you would tell me it felt horrible. It sucked. And you, it sucked. <laughs> big time. <laughs> big time. And you were scared. Mm, 100%. And, <laughs> yeah. And you, you, you also had resentment and anger, which you have now sublimated. I don't know whether you have ever rebelled or acted out again you were just a good boy weren't you I, I was i was the different one like my older brother he rebelled and he he was the more the wild child he was openly rebellious i was more inwardly rebellious in a way um but i would i would uh create stories like my parents would always tell me my mom especially she'd be like make sure that you tell the truth are you actually saying this is what happened or is this what's going on in your mind and then I, I just, yeah, I created a lot of lies growing up because <laughs> I had. This how, do, how do you stories. think? How do you think that fear-based compliance affected you in your adult life, in your relationship? Well, I didn't want to do the wrong thing because I knew what was coming. If I did, it was either going to be mum, or it would be if I, if mum couldn't discipline me, and I wasn't getting the message, which happened a few times, then my dad would come home. And he heard a lot more than my mom. So it would be like, okay, 
uh, how do I how do I try and work my way out of this? <laughs> so that's where the lying also came in into play. There's a but, very but 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 do you feel that in your adult life, teenagehood and adult life, you now have a fear of failure or you have a fear of consequences or messing up and it's it's created a barrier within you or do you feel like you have zero issues because of it i've got many issues <laughs> uh, yeah. i got i got stacks of issues but failure for me and like i've been through heaps of failures before i would say dr shafali that 100% i was afraid of failure i didn't want to fail uh that just made me feel like i was absolutely worthless now that i've been through so much so many failures now i look at it as a good thing and i've just had that mind's mind uh shift and i've had conversations with my mom i've grown up a lot and i've had my own i guess you could say radical awakening and i've realized a lot of things in my life that uh hey that that's happened to me a bit now i realize hey it doesn't have to really define where i'm going in my life uh now um, correct because yeah. you did the work so you're unique and you had your awakening and you healed yourself. But mm. there are many, many people out there who cannot recover from that kind of severe punishment. Mm. Is that because they're, they're sort of trapping themselves even more? Is it because? Yes, yes. Because yeah. then that external oppressor becomes internalized. You were able to get rid of it and work out of it and transcend and heal. But that is why you have turned out the way you did. But that was the good thing, not your parents abusing you. That could have gone very wrong had you not done all this work. So what I'm trying to plead to parents is why are you making your kids do all this work? Mm. You know, can you just find another way to communicate? You know, I've never slapped my kid and mm. she was wild and rude and disrespectful in all traditional ways. But I made a pledge to myself that I will not be lazy. See, I call hitting and paddling lazy parenting and unconscious parenting and abusive parenting. And I'm very uh, outrageously, vehemently against it. Mm. Uh, in any way, because you are now suppressing the child, you're shaming the child. The child now has a healthy dose of distrust because caregivers are not supposed to be abusive. Mm. They can be under, They could have understood you. They could have listened to you. They could have honored you. They could have uh, had compassion for you. There's so many things we can do to communicate what we need to communicate. Our children are not our property. And when we abuse them, we are objectifying them. We are humiliating them. We are shaming them. And we are treating them as our property. We have no right to be abusive to our children, just like we have no right to raise a hand on an adult. We would never raise our hand on an adult, but we raise our hand on our children because they are smaller and less mighty. And we have this traditional model in us that we are in control. The child needs to be disciplined in these ways and they are our puppets, they are our objects. It is so unhealthy. And this is the reason why we have an unhealthy uh, earth. Because of our parents following the traditional model of abusing our children. Mm. So, okay, this is going to make me um, 
even more curious <laughs> for, for you, were you disciplined like I was growing up? Like, did you have the belt, the paddle and all that sort of stuff? No, I, I didn't. I didn't um, at all. I think I was slapped one time by my mom and one time by my dad. And I remember both times and both times they apologized to me. Mm. And now when I bring it up to them, they literally don't remember the slap or the apology. And they were like so relieved that they apologized. They're like, oh, we did. Thank goodness. So you don't talk badly about us. But I was raised with a great deal of uh, healthy attachment and nurturing, uh, which is why I think I've taken it upon myself to pass on this abundance to others and help others heal. I have no judgment towards parents like yours or people who do this. I understand that they are intoxicated by this uh, indoctrination of traditional parenting. They are just following the rule book. Rule book says, hit your kid, hit your kid. The Bible, according to them, says, hit your kid, right? So uh, don't spare the rod, right? The Bible says that, according to these people. So I get it. They, they were intoxicated. They were unconscious. But I am a vehement opposer uh, against this. I mean, there is no circumstance where you can belt your kid or paddle your kid. No circumstance. And parents are always like, but what if the kid is like really rude? I'm like, nope. Nope, you find a way to communicate and you don't teach respect through suppression. You just don't because it will have a negative consequence in that child's life. You get control, but now they have to deal with their fear for the rest of their lives. You dealt with it, but you went on a journey to deal with it. And I'm saying, save us, save these children the journey. You know, there's always going to be messing the kid up, but can you mess them up less? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, yes, like, that's, like that the, that's the dangling question. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, and and for you, Doctor Shafali, like when you did become a mother for the first time, when you became a parent, was there anything that sort of happened to you, like that your daughter did, starting out at any particular age, that sort of gave you a very renewed perspective on on your life at all? Yes, that's when I started doing this writing about it. It was when she was around three years old and I had yelled yet another time and I saw her crumbling before me. Mm. I literally, literally remember her dissociating. Like I saw the light. I know it sounds dramatic, but I, to me, it felt like I literally saw the light go out of her eyes. Mm. And that was so traumatic. I was present for it. So that's the first thing I was aware. Mm. And it horrified me because I saw what I did. I saw how I shamed her and made her feel small. And that was my wake-up call that, what are you doing? And I began to realize, because I had been meditating, you wouldn't have been able to, to know that, but I had been meditating for 11 years by then. And I knew through meditation that there is such a thing as this false ego that comes out wanting control. And I'm like, holy moly, I didn't know that that same ego will come out in the most precious relationship of my life. I couldn't believe that the person I adore the most, I am being a rageful lunatic with. And that's when I went on a serious I first became depressed a little bit and then went through an identity crisis of what kind of parent am I? And who is this monster within me? And I began to identify it as my ego wanting control because I was in lack 
And then I said to myself, well, if I'm going through this and I've been a meditator and I'm a psychologist, what chance do other parents have? Everyone is really effing up. And I began to write about it. And then parents were angry with me and my message didn't take off the ground. And I was being hated upon and rejected and fired by my clients. But I stayed the course because I knew that it was our ego. If it was my ego, it was everybody's ego. And I was here to blast the parents' ego. And it was very unpopular at first. And it's still unpopular. I'm not mainstream. Mm. Uh, But I can never be mainstream because the mainstream message is antithetical to my message. It's Mm. the direct opposite of my message. So I get why I'm not popular, but I have realized that that's my mission is to help parents heal themselves. So what would you do or how would you uh, kind of word the conversation around if someone does disagree with your your approach to parenting? Like I, you, you mentioned that you have had a lot of, I guess you could say, vicious people hating the message. And yeah. what, would, what, what did you do back then as opposed to what you do now? Um, so back then, uh, I used to get pissed off. <laughs> I wanted to slap them into awareness. And then I learned that the ego is formidable. Mm. And the reason they're resisting me is because I'm attacking their ego and their ego is going to fight back. Mm. So I used to, the best way I found to enter the heart of the parent is to take them back to their own childhood, like I did with you, <laughs> and show them that it sucked. Mm. and and make them reconnect to their own pain and then they can have empathy for what their children are going through but it takes time and it takes a lot of patience on my part because the parent's ego is strong and defended and vicious and it wants to be in control so I'm here telling them you can't be in control and they are fighting me so I get it and now it's much easier now only people who are pro my message come to me. So I've self-selected my audience. Um, And so now I have an easier time, you know, and I tell people, if you don't want to really do the inner work, I'm not the person for you. If you want traditional meds or you want traditional techniques, don't come to me. Like now I have power to say that because I'm not in lack anymore. But before I used to take it very personally and it, you know, it was a growing experience to get to this place. I mean, it's hard not to take it personally because it is attacking your own ego at the same time. So you got exactly. two egos fighting it out. It's like, which one's exactly. going to win? It's like- exactly. So then I realized, how can I heal people when I'm full of ego? Mm. So I needed to really work through it and realize that they're just in fear and it's a new message and it's scary and have compassion. And if you care about the children, you need to first care about the parent. So mm. I began to nurture the parents in a wounded child like I was beginning to do with yours, like, wow, what did you go through? And Mm. when I was empathizing with the parents in a child, the parent then grows up and heals, and then they can take care of their children. So my mission is to help parents heal their own inner child. Mm. Dr. Shafali, I do want to be mindful of your time. I'm really enjoying this. I've got a couple more questions for you, if you don't mind. So your new book, A Radical Awakening, um, if I was to pick up a copy right now and turn to any page or chapter that is going to give me a challenge, is going to give me really the most out of the book, there might be a very difficult question to answer, but which page or chapter would you recommend that I turn to first? Oh, oh that's not fair because the book <laughs> is laid out as a journey. It's laid out as a process. 
So mm-hmm. I would say page one, you know, because it's it takes you down, it uncovers layer by layer your egos. So in chapter one, I talk about what is the ego. It's the false self. It's the self that's been created because of fear. In chapter two, I talk about the faces of our ego, the good child, the rebellious child, the comedian, the people pleaser. And then I talk about uh, our biology, our lack of ownership of our sexuality. And then in part four, I talk about um, how to transcend the ego. And I give real time tools for how to create boundaries, how to enter your sovereign self, how to honor your worth, how to speak up for and be your best ally. So I take people down this path. I want to, I'm curious about the people pleasing part because that relates to me. <laughs> yeah, you right. every, and, and most women. So, and most, most good children. Mm. So yeah, we, we people please because we're, we are indoctrinated to, uh, to get love when we please people. And mm. that's how, then we are called the good one and that gives us worth. So mm. we identify as that good person, the people pleaser. And what price we pay for that is that we abnegate and divorce our own opinion, our own voice. We put other people first, we save other people, we rescue them. And we grow resentful. We become victims and martyrs and we we divorce from our own power. And I was a people pleaser all my life. I still am. And I'm, I just have it under control now a little bit. Uh, you know, it was out of control before. Mm-hmm. Like there was nothing I wouldn't do to get love that way. You know, I'll do anything for you. But I wasn't doing it out of a place of sacred sovereignty. I was doing it to get love back. You know, and then when I didn't get the love back, I was angry and resentful and I was burning out. People pleasers burn out a lot because they're pleasing everyone around them and they're not taking care of themselves. Mm. I can't begin to tell you how much I relate to that. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's been a one heck of a journey, I have to say so myself. Um, this is a question that I love asking people. I've only recently started asking this one. But when in your life that you least expected something big to happen, that that's happened and it has given you, once again, a renewed perspective on on your life or it's given you a challenge um, and you least expected it to happen? Something I least expected to happen was my entire parenting epiphany. You know, I didn't expect ever to write about conscious parenting. I never, when I became a parent, thought I would become an advocate for children. I thought I liked them, but I didn't realize I would become the advocate, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I did, I, none of this was expected. Um, and all of it is, is a surprise, you know, even talking to you, I don't underestimate anything. Uh, I take it all with great humility, but in nothing is planned. Even this book, A Radical Awakening, Two years ago, I would have never thought that this book would come out, you know, so what I am alluding to is that life is eternally unpredictable and there's so much joy and serendipity when you surrender to the newness. Like right now I have an agent and I always tell her, I don't want to know my future. Mm. Do not over control the outcome. Don't ask. So, for example, I just did a podcast with Oprah. Mm which will be releasing next month. And my agent wanted to ask for more things. And I said, Let, I wanna be surprised. I want it to come 
out of the, the ether. I, I don't want to ask. I don't want to impose my own agenda. I want to see what will come. And, and she loves that about me. And I love that approach because I don't want to plan my life too much. I want to see. I want to do my due diligence, but I don't want to overzealously control what you know, I don't want to ask you, for example, where will you post this interview? How many people are watching it? I don't ask, you know, if I agree, I show up and I want to be surprised. There's so much joy in going with the unknown. I, for me, I have befriended the unknown. I love the unknown. Um, I want to see what will happen. I want, I, that's why I don't want to control my daughter. I don't want to prescribe her life because then it's boring. It's my life. I want to see what will happen when I just sit back and allow things to unfold? So I'm very comfortable with that. Um, for example, something quite tragic happened to me recently in my work situation. One of my employees betrayed, quote unquote, betrayed me. And I'm sorry to talk like this, but I'm like excited by the betrayal. You know, I'm like, oh my goodness, now what's going to happen? Who is the new Shefali that's going to emerge from this betrayal? What's going to happen now? Like, I've never been betrayed like that. Wow. Like, I'm excited by it, even though it was so tragic. So all I'm saying is that I've learned to lean into uh, the uncertainty of life. Mm -hmm. And I find great joy and excitement in trying to figure out who will I show up as? I don't want to control who I will show up as. I want it to be spontaneous, you know? I appreciate you sharing that. Um, especially the, the betrayal part, because no one wants to go through that. And I actually say this in, in my very first book, which is, is pretty exciting. I say at the very beginning, everyone I believe wishes they all had a roadmap that was given a glimpse into their future. They could see everything that was going to happen. Like doesn't matter what it is. They just want to know the answers, but that's not part of life. And where would be the fun? Where would be the joy? Where would be the questions coming from? Where would be the, the curiosity? You wouldn't have anything because you'd know everything that's going to come your way. So what would be the point? <laughs> that, is, that is so beautiful and so wise. And for someone young like you to get that at that age is so amazing. That's exactly it. The nature of life is that it's unknown. And we are at loggerheads with the nature of life. That's why we suffer. If we could flow with the nature of life, life is constantly saying, I'm changing, I'm changing, I'm changing, I'm changing. But we keep under this illusion that it's not changing. Then when it changes, we're angry. Mm. But life is just doing what life is doing. Life is amazing, but it is highly unpredictable. And so are children. That's why I love the journey of parenthood because it trains you to let go of expectations and control. And I love that. You know, I love that rebellious child who forces the parent to give up their access of control. Mm. I can't wait one day to become a parent, but I'm also, yeah, like I said before, scared. But anyway, <laughs> um, sort of finishing up this this conversation, Dr. Shafali, uh, two final questions. This is my all-time favorite question. I ask everyone at the end. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Um, that she wasn't afraid 
to piss people off and live her authentic self. Mm. Do you feel like anything is missing in your life currently? Um, you know, I, I, I've really developed a, an attitude of completion. So I, I've learned to harness an attitude of wholeness. So people, you know, have bucket lists. I have no bucket list. Like if I never see another country, another island, I, I'm, I've learned to bloom where I am. And that's taken cultivation of this attitude of it is what it is. And this is exactly how it's meant to be. And I've really learned to love the isness of my life, even when I'm betrayed, for example, or going through a hardship. I really have learned that that is the best attitude to have. I'm sorry to say I have the best attitude, but I've learned through wisdom that the isness is the isness. So you can fight it or you can surrender to it. And I've learned great joy can be had when you surrender to it and great suffering can be had when you resist it. Mm. I refuse to resist my isness. I just know it causes suffering. So I refuse to be an idiot, you know. I love that. Dr. Shafali, where can people connect with you, buy a new book? You've also got a Mind Valley course, which people can learn more about being more of a, a conscious parent. Where can people go and, and get that and learn right. more? About so you? I have this amazing course with Mind Valley. It's called a quest. It's only 30 days. And mm. in 30 days, we transform your whole parenting. And I believe every non-parent and parent should take it. I'm very proud of that course. So they can go to mindvalley.com and look up Dr. Shafali and take that quest for 30 days. So easy. It's like literally 10, 15 minutes a day, but it's so effective and amazing. So I love that course. And in terms of my stuff, uh, I have a coaching institute where I coach people to become conscious parenting coaches. So they can find that on my website, drshafali.com. They can go to my website, buy my new book. I have tons of courses. I have relationship courses, meditation courses, manifestation courses. Um, so I have so much stuff on my website, but they can just go there and explore and see what works for them. And I'll make sure that all the links are in the show notes below for people to check out. But Dr. Shafali, thank you so much for your time today and for coming on the Storybox podcast. I'm so proud of what you do. I'm here to support you and keep on doing what you do. You're amazing. Thank you for having me as a guest. really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. 
And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.